Galatians 5, 22 through 23. This is in the ESV translation, so I'm going to start reading it here. If you've got your Bibles, hold them up. I'll throw candy at you. Paper Bibles, paper Bibles. What you got? Paper Bibles, paper Bibles. That's a fruit by the foot. <laughs> hey. Anyone else? Anyone else? That goes to Sam. Whatever. <laughs> oh, did I go too far? There you go, Landon. Anyone I miss? Is that everybody? We good? Good, good, good. So, you got it ready there, Titus? Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Let's see what it looks like. What do we got? All right, let's read it together. On three. One, two, three. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Lawlessness. I didn't say there was no patience. I said we didn't talk about patience yet. But guess what we're talking about tonight? (laughs) Ooh, yes. So this one I've been most excited about sharing. And bear with me. I had a cold, nasty cold this morning. It's much better now. But there's a lot of sickness going around, and it caught up to me, I guess. So... Patience is what we're talking about tonight. Everyone look to your neighbor and say, be patient. Patience. Next for the Spirit. This is what, listen up, hey, listen up. It's going to take way longer and you're going to need more patience if you keep talking, okay? So, Brandon? (laughs) In the English... Language, the word that's found in this, and I'm, I didn't even try to attempt to say this Greek word because it's complicated. <laughs> it's, it's a real long word. Hey, CJ, stop. You're trying my patience. Please stop. The word that usually gets translated into English is the word patience. That's the most common word for the Greek word that we see in this list. Because if you didn't know, the Bible wasn't written in English first, okay? I know, I know, I know, even though some people think King James Version is the truest version and there's nothing more real than that, it actually wasn't written in English first. But, in a few languages, there's Greek, there's Hebrew, and Aramaic, so, that, that was the first one. Anyways, talk to me after if you got Questions like that. So, other words get used to translate this. If you have a New King James Version or King James Version, what does it say? Some of you read that. I know Katie usually does. So, instead of, no, it's not forbearance. That's in the NIV. So, New King James, King James, what you got, Landon? Long-suffering, that's right. The word long-suffering is what that word gets translated to. Now, what is long-suffering? Do you guys know? It means 
the ability to suffer long. It's you're able to suffer for a long time. That's one way of translating the word patience, wouldn't you say? Because when you're patient, you guys feel like you're suffering a little bit when you're having to wait for something. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) I'm going to do that to you on your next sermon. (laughs) Long suffering. Here's the way the Amplified defines it. And I'm so sad that John's not here because he loves the Amplified. And he would be so happy that I'm using it, which I rarely do. So, we're recording it. The Amplified defines it this way. Patience, or not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. It's not just about if you wait. Here's something that I tell my kids. When they tell me something like, I can't wait any longer. I'm starving. Uh, I can't wait. You guys ever said those words? Some of you might have said it today to your parents. <laughs> but you, when my, one of my kids comes to me and says, I can't wait any longer. And I'm like, well, sorry, but you really don't have a choice but to wait. It's a matter of how you're going to wait, though. That's up to you. And the same goes for us. There's things that we kind of have to wait for. We don't really have much of a choice on. And we can kick and scream. We can grumble and complain and whine during that period of time that we're being patient. Or we can actually be patient and have a good attitude about it. And that's easier said than done, right? You guys think that's a little hard to do sometimes? I know it is for myself. Well, like like I said, the Amplified says it this way, patience, not the ability to wait, but how we act while waiting. When you put these words together, long-suffering and patience, and the definition found in the Amplified, I think the word that Katie already mentioned, forbearance, is probably one of the best words that you can find to describe this word. So what do you guys think forbearance means? How would you define it? Or are you like, I have literally never heard of that word before. Forbearance? That's an old person word. (laughs) Some of you are like, yep. (laughs) That's what old people say. Here's the thing. Forbearance. It is a powerful word. Who wants to take a stab at it? Who thinks they know what the word forbearance means? Forbearing? Yes, it does mean to be forbearing. That, that's circular logic, though. You can't use the definition with the definition in it. <laughs> yes? Be still in hard times. Yeah, I think that's a decent way of explaining it. Anyone else? Yes, CJ? Not going. Nope, not the opposite. It's more descriptive, I would say. So here's some definitions I found. Oxford Languages defines it as, as if you were to Google, you can use your phone right now and you can say forbearance definition and just look it up. Uh huh. So what does it say? You got it there? Shh. You're interrupting. No, I got you, Elena. Don't worry about it. I got you. Elena, go ahead. To hold oneself back, especially with an effort. 
All right, listen up. CJ. Here's one definition I found. Patient self-control. It's not just about being patient, but it's also having self-control in your patience. Because once you don't have self-control anymore, I would argue you're not really being patient anymore. You're enforcing your will now. You're making demands and trying to make things happen that you want to have. Restraint and tolerance is another phrase. Here's in legal terms, the action of refraining from exercising a legal right. CJ, please go sit by Brandon. Please. Please. No, go sit by Brandon. Thank you. The action of refraining from exercising a legal right. Guys, look at me, please. Especially enforcing the payment of debt. Now, when I read this definition, guys, the number one thing that I thought of was really with what God did with us. This is precisely what God did with us. CJ. CJ, just sit down, please. This is precisely what God did with us. Riley, you guys. Somebody's talking back there. And it's being disrupted. Please stop, okay? I want you guys to listen. Please, this is very important. This is probably, like, honestly, what this part is, is the central focus of what will give you forbearance. Do you guys want any? Do you want forbearance? Do you want the, imbili- the ability to be patient and long-suffering being a part of your life, that you wouldn't just cave under pressure. Do you want that? Okay, good. This is exactly what God did with us. Exercising a legal right, refraining from it, especially enforcing the payment of debt. Guys, every single one of us was deserving of debt, right? That's what the gospel says. We screwed up. We are what made the world messed up. And Jesus came and said, I'm going to have the punishment, the debt of which they deserve to pay, which is death, because it says in God's word that the wages of sin is death. That's what our wage was. That's what we needed to pay. We needed to shed blood of ourselves to be able to have things paid for. But God said, no, I will not exercise this legal right that I have but instead I will inflict the punishment upon myself. That's precisely what God did. That is forbearance. So if you want a good example of seeing how God himself exemplifies every single one of these fruits of the Spirit, specifically forbearance, here's an example of it. He did it himself, right? This is what... Peter speaks of in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with you and me, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Right here. Because he loves the whole world that he gave his son so that we might not perish, but have eternal life. Right? 
God refrained from enforcing this payment of a debt on us and instead took it upon himself. That's forbearance, right? Best definition that I found of forbearance was in Merriam-Webster's definition. And I found this originally during the time of COVID. And this really hit me right between the eyes. <laughs> this is the way it's described. Forbearance is the capacity to endure what is difficult. Everyone say endure. The capacity to endure what is difficult or disagreeable. You don't necessarily agree with it without complaining. That's the big part. Because <laughs> you can have problems with something and state your opinions all day long, right? But to actually have problems with something and not complain about them, that's a whole other thing entirely. <laughs> it is very difficult. The capacity to endure what is difficult or disagreeable without complaining. This is what the merging of patience and long-suffering looks like. It's not just being patient and waiting, but waiting well. Choosing to keep your mouth shut when you want to complain about something. <laughs> when someone says something that you don't agree with and maybe don't want to hear, or maybe you don't want to do, and instead of kicking and screaming and fighting what's happening, you choose to submit. Now, there's always a place for fighting for things, okay? This isn't about just letting people run you over, okay? I don't want you to make that distinction and think that way. But that's what Jesus did was he chose to have forbearance. He had the capacity to endure what was difficult and disagreeable without complaining. He went all the way to the cross. When everything inside him didn't want to do it. He actually desired for it not to happen. He said, God, if there's any other way, make it happen. But nevertheless, not my will, your will. I'll do what you want. There's a lot of areas I could talk on that would be about enduring something difficult or disagreeable. But I think God really wants to focus on a couple of things. One of those things in particular is submission to authority, such as your parents. Not my mom. <laughs> Although my mom is an authority figure over you guys, too, because she is your elder, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but submission to authority like your parents, it's not easy, is it? Is it easy to listen to your parents? Is it easy to obey your parents? Do you sometimes disagree with them? <laughs> Is it sometimes difficult to do what they ask you to do? <laughs> what? <laughs> Zeke, saw that. You were right at the new guy, huh? <laughs> He'll talk to your dad on Sunday. <laughs> no idea what your oldest did to me. He's throwing stuff at me at youth group. But let me, let me level with you guys. It's hard to do what your parents say sometimes. I don't want you to think I was never there. And there's times I even watch my own children, and they're just 
falling apart at the seams with me just saying, put your shoes away. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not that big a deal. Just put the shoes away. <laughs> but I know for myself, I've had meltdowns before when I was a kid. I have things I'm like, that they're not really asking me to do anything crazy. It's not like they told me to build the pyramids. <laughs> but sometimes we respond that way, right? Like, it's ridiculous what you're asking me to do. You can't take my phone away. Right? <laughs> right? Well, then that, that one's not for you. <laughs> but there's, there's times that your parents might discipline you in a way you don't agree with. They punish you, and you feel like punishment doesn't fit the crime, even though you did a crime. <laughs> but with our parents, this can be hard, Right? The world says, though, that we should avoid things that are uncomfortable. We should avoid things that are difficult. If you don't like it, don't do it. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't work when it comes to doing what God tells you to do, right? And here's one thing that God tells us to do. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, New Living Translation. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. The world doesn't obey their parents. You're not supposed to look like that. You're not supposed to live like that. You belong to a different family. You belong to God. This is the right thing to do. That's really all you need. This is the right thing to do. And we in ourselves know that as believers, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to desire to do what's right. Right? But sometimes our desire doesn't always fit that. It goes on to say, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. You guys want things to go well for you. You want things to turn out good. You want your life to go well. Do this. <laughs> and it says, and you will live a long life on the earth. You guys want to live a long life? Yeah? I hope so. If, I would say, if you don't want to live a long life, you at least probably want things to go well for you. You don't want your life to just be a train wreck after a train wreck, right? If you want things to go well for you, then this is a must. You have to have forbearance to do it. You need to exercise the fruit of the Spirit to be able to do this. Because it is difficult. It's difficult to obey your parents. It's not easy. If it was easy, God never would have had to command it. Right? <laughs> if it was simple, he wouldn't tell you to do it. If it came naturally, he wouldn't have to emphasize it. But we don't naturally drift towards obeying God. We drift away from it. And this is one of the things we drift away from. If we allow ourselves to, you won't just accidentally obey your parents. <laughs> Will you? You just accidentally do it? No, it is a conscious decision. It is a choice of your will. They told me to take the trash out. I'm going to do it. <laughs> they said, finish your homework as soon as you get home, and then you can go play your video games. <laughs> you can do whatever it is. 
That is a choice that you make. It is a conscious decision, and it's a difficult one. It is oftentimes, with your own nature, a disagreeable one. You don't want to do it, right? Am I preaching to the choir here? (laughs) No? (laughs) I mean, I'm not just preaching at myself. I've, I've been there, guys. I know what it's like. Were you, your parents seem to make ridiculous requests on you. Caitlin, come on up here. There's a, a story I wanted her to share, an example. And this is a rather comedic one, but comedic I think... Now. Yes, comedic now. It was not when she was a kid. <laughs> so go ahead. Um, Isaac just wanted me to share one of the stories of something my parents had me do that was really hard for me to submit to. So one summer, um, sorry, loud noises. Is somebody dying? Um, (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Okay, so when I was in high school, all of my friends through the summer were hanging out and they wanted to hang out late. But when I was a junior in high school, my, the summer after my junior year, going into my senior year, my dad made me go to bed at 9 p.m., <laughs> which in the summer... In the summertime. <laughs> in the summer, the sun is still in the sky, and I'm laying down in my bed. Yes, the drive-in hasn't even sun. started the movie yet. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm looking out the window as the sun is, like, still in the sky, and I'm thinking to myself, does my dad realize how old I am? Does he, does he understand that 9 p.m.? I mean, you're like 16, 17 yeah, at 16, that point. 16, 17 yeah. years old is just kind of insane. And I remember thinking to myself, if I get out of this bed and try to leave, uh, it's not going to go well for me. Either I'm going to get told that I have to go to bed at 8 p.m. or I'm going to get, you know, some sort of repercussion. And I thought... We had a glass sliding door in the basement where my room was. And I thought, I guess I could leave through the glass sliding door, but that's not going to go well for me either. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is not a good scenario for me. I have to fight everything within myself. Either I'm going to look like a big baby throwing a fit because I won't want to go to bed, or I can submit to this and be miserable. And I chose to submit to it and be miserable. And I'm not going to say that my emotions were all lined up with me because, to be honest, I was fuming in my bed, laying down like, why am I here? But I just remember thinking, this is the better of the options. And I guess I can just sit here and read. And so I'd take that time and I'd read or I would... um, You played your guitar. Yeah, there was a couple times I played my guitar, (laughs) and they'd catch me and then, you know, tell me to go to bed. (laughs) Because the guitar is not a quiet instrument. I don't think there's such a thing as a quiet instrument. But... uh, (laughs) Electric drum set. That's quieter. That's (laughs) that's the story of a time that I had to submit to my parents, and I really didn't want to. Looking back on it, are you glad you did? Yeah, I'm glad that I did. I wish somebody would have told my dad that <laughs> that this is insane. <laughs> that I'm I'm not a child and I wish that somebody would have told my dad that, but looking back on it, I chose the better out of the two because um the alternative would have really sucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Let's give her a hand.
it's it's a pretty funny story. It's I, th- I think it's comedic now. <laughs> it's like, well, what not to do as a parent? We, we kind of know that one. Don't make our kids go to bed at nine o'clock when they're seniors in high school. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and that that raises a good point. So when you choose to submit to your parents, do they tend to trust you more, or do they tend to not trust you? When you submit to them, are they going to trust you more? Or are they going to be like, I'm never going to give you any responsibility ever. I'm not going to let you have any freedom. They trust you more, right? No. It's, it's a matter of consistency of obedience. And I'll tell you this too. The less you complain about your obedience while you're doing it, also more you'll be blessed with. I know for my own kids, when they whine about what they're doing, I'm glad they at least do it. But the best is when they're like, okay, they just go right ahead and do it. And there's no whining, there's no complaining. It goes faster, what I have them do. It doesn't take so long. Everybody's happier. Everybody wins in the end. And that's typically how it goes when it comes to obeying our parents. If you choose to have a good attitude about it, it makes all the difference. Obeying your parents, it can be hard. And the world says, do whatever makes you happy. Well, it doesn't always fit with what your parents are telling you to do. Because sometimes they tell you, don't do that thing that's going to make you happy. <laughs> but in the end, it produces the best fruit in our life. It's going to be a benefit to you in the end. Disobedience to parents, this is something I, I feel like God really wanted me to share. And it's, it's the honest truth. It's part of what put Jesus on the cross. Because it is sin, right? And I think that's something that we need to recognize. We need to come to terms with and acknowledge the fact that when we choose to not obey, caused nine it, it caused 39 lashes on Jesus it caused him to be flogged which is where they take a whip with pieces of bone glass teeth and they whip the person's back and then tear it out that's what Jesus went through and then after that he had to go be crucified that put Jesus on the cross in the old testament when a child would revile their parents they had the death sentence how many of you are glad we don't live under the old covenant anymore (laughs) right (laughs) i'm grateful for that i would have been dead a long time ago (laughs) but it was honestly what every one of us deserved because it's sin and that is the penalty that's the punishment for sin. That's that we're deserving of death penalty. And Jesus, in his forbearance, chose to refrain from that and have it come upon himself. You need forbearance in your life to be able to endure the difficult things in life. And one of those difficult things is obeying your parents. I don't want you guys to think, I'm just going to tell you guys to do this because I think it's easy. You're just supposed to do this. Just do it already. No, it's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. 
Sometimes you're lying in your bed angry. You're like, my parents, are, they don't understand me. Do they even realize how old I am? They just, they're holding me back. That's all the words that she was saying. <laughs> but this is what God is doing. When he says, obey your parents, he's not just putting you in a place to say, I want you to suffer. I want you to just go through life in pain all of your teenage years. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's actually setting you up to win. Because when you learn how to do this, when you learn how to submit to your parents, you'll learn to submit to other authorities in your life, such as the boss, such as the government, police, civil authority in your life, might be a teacher, instead of getting yourself put into trouble at school, <laughs> you'll more likely not go in prison because you don't get in trouble with the law as much. If you're somebody who's obeying the authority that's in your home, you'll obey the authority out of your home. And more than anything, most importantly, you're going to learn to obey God better too. And do you guys want that? God put them in your life to teach you to listen and submit to an authority figure in your life because it actually only is going to bring you good things, is going to bring you blessings, is going to bring you benefit to your life, it's going to bring fruit to your life like you would not imagine. You have no idea what doors it opens for you. And it's incredible what God ends up doing and moving in your life. There's a story in Jeremiah 35 that I want to share, and I'm just going to summarize it because it's a pretty big chunk of Scripture. But here in this passage, there's a people, there's a tribe called the Rechabites. And these people, they're not Jewish, okay? They're not from Israel. But they, they're nomadic, they live nearby, and Jeremiah is a prophet who's prophesying all sorts of destruction over Israel because of their disobedience to God. They're disobeying him. They're not listening to God. And these Rechabites, they have this vow where they are going to refuse to drink any wine, any strong drink. There's these commands that their own father gave them. And they're choosing to obey their father the commands that their father gave them, their earthly father, okay? So in this passage, Jeremiah 35, I'll just read a couple pieces of it because I want you guys to see this for yourself. And you can go there if you want. Jeremiah 35. And this whole passage is about the obedience of them in contrast to the disobedience of Israel. Now these people, they don't have the Mosaic law. They don't have the Ten Commandments. They don't know that this actually brings about good things in their life. It brings about obedience and blessing into their life. So while they're brought before Jeremiah, he puts wine before them. God tells him, bring them to the temple and then put wine in front of them. See if they'll drink it. Ask them to. And then not just ask them to, tell them to. So that's what he does. He ends up putting this in front of them. They come forward and he says, Go ahead and take a drink. Now, this was just a normal, hospitable thing to do at the time during Israel. When guests came over, you gave them wine to say, hey, welcome to my home. Thank you for visiting. Can I give you a glass of water? They say, can I give you a glass of wine? Because the water there was terrible. 
And so they say, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Well, why not? Because we made a vow. Our father told us not to drink wine, and we're not going to do it. We're going to do what he said. We're going to listen to him. We're going to obey him. And it wasn't like some crazy outlandish thing Jeremiah was asking. It was just a normal, simple, cultural thing. (laughs) And they're like, nope, not going to do it. And then Jeremiah says in 35, I'm going to start at verse, uh, let's see here, we'll do 14. The command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave to his sons to drink no wine has been kept, and they drink none to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently. And this is where he changes the direction to the Israelites who are not listening, who aren't obeying God. They're not doing what he commands. I have turned to you. I have spoken to you persistently, but you have not listened to me. I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, sending them persistently saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods to serve. It goes on and on. You're not listening. You're not obeying. And they have God's word. When people that don't even have God's word are obeying their own earthly father. And here's what it says in verse 18. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done all that he commands you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. He'll never lack somebody in my presence. That's a good thing. And this is a nation that is not following God necessarily. They're not a people who are obeying everything that God commands, but they're at least doing better than Israel. (laughs) And he's like, fine. This, I said, you obey your parents, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a long life. That's what he ends up doing. And if God's going to stay true to his commandments for people he didn't even give it to, how much more is he going to do with you guys? CJ, stop it. Here's the next area I think is difficult or disagreeable. It's having a good attitude about something that's difficult. Did you guys say that's hard to do? Having a good attitude about enduring difficulty. Like the Amplified says, it isn't about the ability to wait, but how you act while you wait. There's a Hebrew word that shows up only once in the Bible, and it's found in in Psalm 78.41. In the New King James Version, it says, Yet again and again they tempted God. This is where he's talking about the nation of Israel. Before they were supposed to go in the promised land. They were complaining. They were bickering. They were grumbling about what God was doing or what he wasn't doing and what he want, they wanted him to do. And it says, and limited the Holy One of Israel. I get this from John Bevere. He has a podcast that we listened to while we were flying here last week from our trip. And... In this, John Bevere brings up this word, the Hebrew word, shows up once in the whole Bible. And the word's tava. Say tava. 
Now you know Hebrew. It's a verb that means to limit. It has the sense of restraining persons. This is the definition that John Bevere gives. Restraining persons from what they can do because of one's own attitudes or actions. Do you guys want to restrain yourselves from where you could go? Or do you want God to open up a highway for you? Which would you rather have? Would you rather walk on foot or jump in a Corvette and get there fast? (laughs) Right? It doesn't always go like we planned. Sometimes it takes longer, and that's when God's teaching us some patience a lot of the time, right? But I don't want to limit God in my life. Do you? It's, It's clear that one way we can limit God, though, is by our attitude. The Israelites had a terrible attitude. <laughs> Go read it. You can read it in the book of Num- in the yeah, the book of Numbers, right? That's one place you can see it. They're just constantly bickering. You can see it in the book of Exodus. God's doing these incredible things. And they're whining constantly. <laughs> but we oftentimes do that too, right? And thank God that He is having forbearance with us. Enduring our difficult complaining. (laughs) And when we're disagreeing with him, right? But the word tava, it it brings this understanding of limiting God in your life from moving powerfully. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to happen. I don't want to know that I've been causing the power of God to be restricted in my life. I want to be something where I see the power of God moving hugely, abundantly in my life. Nothing holding him back from doing things in my life. God was testing them in a lot of ways. To see, are you guys going to have forbearance? Or are you going to have complaints? Are you going to be whining about this? Or are you going to be patient with me? And wait well. I don't know what all of you guys are going through, but I would imagine you've got something that comes to mind when you think of, I've just been waiting, waiting for this, and it's really hard for me to hold my tongue anymore. I want this to be done already. I got an example of somebody who had a similar perspective, but might have gone through a little bit more than you did. Brandon had me read this book, and I'm glad he did, called Imprisoned with Isis. How many of you would like to be in that position? (laughs) I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't want to be in prison with some extreme Muslims (laughs) as a Christian. And that's what this guy was. He was a devout believer. He was a pastor. He was a Christian over in Czech Republic. His dad raised him in communist Czechoslovakia. He was a pastor himself. And he had to watch his dad go through quite a bit of suffering and go through a lot of persecution. And then eventually, he himself gets put in a position where he has to endure some stuff. He has to go through some suffering as well. He ends up getting wrongfully imprisoned, and he's put in a prison cell with some ISIS members, and then it goes on even longer than that. Um, beyond that, there's other prisons he gets transferred to, and it's just atrocious stuff that happens to him. 
the food he's given is all moldy food. And any of the good food he has while he's in the prison cell, the ISIS members make him stand in a corner while his food's next to where their hole in the ground was that they peed in it. And absolutely hate him. Yeah, they, I mean, they're extreme Muslim extremists, and they want nothing but to kill Christians, a lot of them. And they would beat him in the cell, and guards wouldn't stop him. They'd hear the whole thing, and they just they just let it happen. And his food was getting urinated on. There was at one point in a prison where they had human excrement up to his neck that he had to be put into. And then it caused him to have these horrible diseases on his body as a result of it because he's bathing in sewage. <laughs> it's atrocious stuff. And he was wrongfully imprisoned. The things that they said against him, and then all of this evidence to prove that it was actually false, that it wasn't real, it wasn't true, the judge didn't care. He was on the stand to be sentenced to execution, and then they ended up not executing him, but sentencing him to life in prison. And he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, all he was doing was sharing the gospel. But he was trying to be pretty covert about it, and then they say all these things against him to get him put in prison, and he's suffering greatly for the gospel. He was basically exercising the fruits of the Spirit. He was showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control while he was in this prison cell. And it was just one bad thing after another happening to him. And I want you guys to to hear some of his words afterwards. This is what he came to the conclusion on. He said, I was so thankful to the Lord, deeply thankful for allowing me the privilege of suffering dishonor for the name of my Savior. People here don't talk like that, <laughs> right? For my family's sake, I was thankful that my arrest happened when my children were already grown so they could encourage my wife, Vanda, who I think suffered the most. But for my own sake, I wished God had allowed this experience to happen earlier because I know the rest of my life would have looked so much different. You're saying the things that I learned in there, the things that I grew in because of this suffering, I wish it happened sooner. So I would be better now. In the last 20, 30, 40 years, I would have been better at living my life for Jesus. This is what he says. God often allows suffering to teach us patience, to teach us how to wait on him. Do you hear those words? The torture that this guy underwent, the things that he went through in his life, and this is his response. This is his perspective. God was trying to teach me patience. It's not the way most people think. When we look at it with our human mind, we go, God, you are mad at me. <laughs> you don't like me. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. What is it? Or we get angry at God. God, why are you not avenging me already? I don't deserve to be here. And he's saying, I'll take care of it. Well, yeah, but you're kind of moving slow. <laughs> 
This is what he ends up quoting from the book of Psalms. He says, the psalmist wrote, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. Waiting for the Lord is the key to the Christian life. It unlocks all the Christian disciplines like prayer, fasting, and serving others. And it cures us from suffering from an instant Christianity. An attitude that I had encountered in my own heart during the first part of my imprisonment. This is a huge thing that we got to learn. To get past an instant Christianity. Here's the last thing I want to read from this. And this is really the main thing I want you guys to get. It crosses over into probably every relationship in your life. But it does cross over into your relationship with your parents. When I stopped thinking about myself, I stopped feeling miserable. And I saw a larger plan taking shape. He had so much reason to be miserable. <laughs> At one point, he is in prison for six months, sees no end to it. And he's frustrated, rightly so, right? And he has this conversation with God where he says, God, I'm just really mad. <laughs> and I'm miserable. I'm, he starts feeling sorry for himself and pity on himself. And God's response to him is, you know people that have been in prison for five years. And you're thinking about you? Get your mind off yourself and pray for them. That's God's response he had to him. Stop thinking of you and get your mind off yourself. Because you're going to be miserable if you think about yourself. And God knows that. But here's the thing. So does the devil. <laughs> he wants you to think about you all the time. Because <laughs> that's all he thinks about is himself. <laughs> and he's wanting, he just wants you to do what he does. The difficulties you're in, the hardships you're in, I don't know what they might be. And they might be really, really hard. And you might not deserve them. But when you think of what God wants to do, it changes things. That's what got him free from his misery. He started to think, God, what is your plan in all this? What are you wanting to do? What is your desire? And I'll just tap into it. I'll be a part of this. He ended up being so freed from his own misery and frustration in the midst of all of this crazy torture he was going through. He says, I wish I had gone through it sooner. <laughs> That's incredible. And the reason why is because he saw what it brought about in his life. The fruit that it brought. The forbearance being growing in his life. He says, I wish I had this fruit sooner. <laughs> because the things it would do for God's kingdom and in my life, the better would be so worth it. Paul says in Scripture that the sufferings we go through, the things that we endure, are nothing compared to what awaits us. Do you know what awaits you? 
It's a God who loves you, who's crazy about you, and wants to spend eternity with you. That's worth it. And it's worth it to have other people come to that too. Amen? Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. And I want you to think about things that are maybe disagreeable, things that are difficult in your life, that you're having a hard time not complaining about. (laughs) You're having a tough time accepting in your life and saying, God, what is your plan in all this? Why do I have to obey my parents? (laughs) Why do I have to listen to my teacher? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to go to bed at 9 p.m. on a summer night as a (laughs) 17-year-old? So, I'm going to pray. Lord, you you have a plan, you have a part, you have a reason for the things that you do. Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that we would exercise forbearance. We'd be able to endure what is difficult or disagreeable without complaining, that we would choose to submit ourselves to your will and say, God, not my will, but yours, which are the same words that you uttered to God, the Father, when he put before you going to the cross. And because you endured it to the end, God, help us to endure the sufferings that we've been put in the difficulties in our life, the challenges we're facing. And God, we pray for for them to accomplish everything that you want them to and for them to end exactly when you want them to. In Jesus' name.